What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. Yeah, the sneak around, that was... You, if you ever read that book, you'll find out about sneak around. Yeah, I'm going to... What was the book called again? Descent into Madness. Descent into Madness. And it was about a draft dodger that ended up in North BC. So I'm assuming he was a draft dodger during he, Vietnam. He was a U.S. guy that went to Alaska to start a hippie. Commune or something. Yeah. Lived up there for a while and then burned out up there and came to BC, actually to Telegraph Creek. <sighs> Fell in with the hippie crowd there. Is there a lot of hippie crowds up here? Well, well Telegraph Creek has one. Yeah. There used to be a lot more. Yeah. Kind of, now everybody's a hippie. Yeah, everybody is a hippie. But uh, yeah, cool anyway, he now. he got out of the main stream and got up a side creek and ended up listing off. And then the government <laughs> went in and maybe. got him. They eventually did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they gunned him down yeah. uh, on, on Tesla lake. lake. Really? Up there in the middle of the winter. He killed one cop uh-huh. in the showdown. The cops, uh, the partner seen him, not killed him, but when they pulled his that guy's gun open, yeah, he'd killed that other guy already, or he would have if his firing pin hadn't been froze. Really? The firing pin hit the primer, but didn't, it didn't go, off, go off, and the cop got him. Wow. There you got him. There's some chills for you. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's pretty cool. Frozen firing pin. Yeah. That happened to me last year on a deer. Yeah, it's a real pain deal. in the ass. But the deer deal. didn't kill you back, though. No, no, the deer didn't shoot back. It ran away, happy, joyous, and free, and alive as ever. But see that this guy, he he would go and live in these people's summer cabins along those big lakes up there and stuff. That's that's where he would winter. Yeah, he'd find some cabin and go in there and winter. Yeah, and uh, and that's how they found him. These people, this couple from Whitehorse, decided to go to their cabin for the winter. For the and weekend. found out that he was in there. Come, snow machine up to their cabin and here's this wing nut in there butchered a moose in the cabin and it was just a big you know he's a pretty yeah, he just lived like an old boar bear anyway they run back to town and told the cops and the cops SWAT teams and all that come in wow I but, just couldn't imagine living in a bush like that well that's like why that's I say serious he, 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 this is, he's really twisted off boy he's yeah bad news but anyway that you need to if you get a chance you should read it Mm-hmm. He might have been Descent into, into madness. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to he, check that out. He might have even been from California. I'm not he sure. probably was. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm wondering when I'll have my descent into madness sometimes. I'm sure a lot You're of other people way, have buddy. that same question. We're just probably about, another 25 minutes. Yeah. Or six hours. That should be far enough down the road. Yeah, here, as long as you're on the plane, out of here. I don't yeah. care. Just get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, I think I met this guy. Really? When I didn't know it. Yeah. Just before all this happened. While he was starting, he was trapping a Big Atlan Lake, north end of Big Atlan Lake, and I was in grade 12. Me and two other kids went out there with a snow machine, because one of these other buddies, his old, his dad had some horses wintering out in that country. So we went out to check these horses. And there was a fellow, another guy there that, he was an old hippie living in the bush that we mm-hmm. knew. 
Actually, he was holed up in a Bible camp <laughs> on the end of the Big Otten Lake in a cabin. And anyway, <laughs> Danny Swanstrom was who he was, and we went out there to see him because he knew, or we stayed with him because he knew where these horses were. And we screwed over there, and lo and behold, we stopped and seen this other trapper over there across out in the boonies. And his name was Mike. And that's what this guy's name was. Really? Chesley Free Mike, he called himself. Michael Litchie. He must have had dirty fingernails. Oral. Because yeah. he let you live. Well, he, I, I can still remember he come out of his cabin, a big old bushy red haired booger. Jeremiah Johnson looking. Danny knew him and talked to him. We just sat on our kids on our snow machines. And yeah. Well, off we went. But at that time was when he was spending, that's where he was during that period of time, was in that northern part of BC there. Wow. And uh, in my mind, I, I almost think that might have been Chesley Mike. Dun, 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 dun. Right. <laughs> so why don't you introduce yourself? You are? Larry Warren. Larry Warren. Yeah. And owner-operator of? She showed you River Outfitters. Yeah. Yeah. And? And so I'm Monty Warren. I'm the oldest son. Um, I'm now managing the hunting area. Yeah. Yep. And I'm Ricky, uh, the youngest, youngest of three, uh, ten years younger than Monty, and just a, a spoiled baby. Strapped up in <laughs> denim. Yeah. 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 About as cowboy just, as it gets. Just hand me downs, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Marble man. <laughs> Were those his hand me downs? <laughs> no. Do, do they look like they've ever? I fit mean, me? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and Dad's laughing. <laughs> yeah, if you only. Yeah, They're probably I, his hand me down. That's what I was going to say. I used to be that big one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he might have been. Back in the day. So, Larry, you started out in, I mean, maybe it was grade 12. Yeah. When you kind of decided you wanted to go into a guide, a guide life, a real guide life, you know, in the bush. Um, yeah, that's when I graduated when I was 12, when I was 17. Yeah. From Whitehorse. I was I raised outside of Whitehorse. I mean, not really a bush, but away from town. And so I spent my time in the bush. Or that's what I did for a kid. That was where you spent your imagination time. Yeah. yeah. Shot squirrels off my side of the horse. And, you know what I mean. You got your bush trails and you run around thinking you're a real... Cowboy. Yeah. In the Wild West. Wild West. We's, we's doing it. Wild West Canada. And uh, and I actually had a horse as a kid, you know, uh, the folks, they, we kept a horse or two that I was virtually the sole user of. And we used to have to buy grain for them horses through the winter from an outfitter by the name of Dennis Collison that lived in, outside of White Horse there in Porter Creek. And, we used to go out there and buy grain, you know, buy, you know, grain bag or sack of grain. And we'd go there uh, as I was a kid or whatnot, and we'd, I'd get to go into his saddle shit. And man, there was saddles lined up there and packed saddles and bells and all this rigging in there. Halters and holy man. He <laughs> only had one halter and one saddle. That's right, you know, and I thought, whatever this guy's doing. It sure does look like it could be something that might fit. And uh, 
that's kind of what got my, I think, perked my spirit. interest. Yeah. And he was a real, at that time, he was like top shelf outfitter. He was kind of the, of the Yukon. He was kind of the king of the Yukon. So and what era, what year period are that we talking? Was, see, I graduated in 75, so that would have been the years leading up to that. Okay. Sort of thing. And so in 75, when I graduated, I made a note, I'm going to call this man and see if I can work for him. And at that time, I thought I'd go wrangling. That was the, all I knew about was how you started, or if you're going to start, you'd wrangle. So <laughs> um, the only scenario was uh, leading up to that, see old Dennis, he'd already been in the mountains, like they'd trail in there and spend their summers in the, at Rose Lake. Uh, uh, where the, the base camp was and whatnot, which is, anyway, I couldn't connect with him because he's out of town, and I was. There's no satellite internet at that point. Well, it was pretty <laughs> slow. The upload yeah. was way yeah. slow. <laughs> Messenger pigeon. About <laughs> forty so, years slow. <laughs> so, I picked up a job with a, actually a neighboring outfitter, that I didn't really know, but he was hard up for help. Really hard up because he took me on. <laughs> I was, I could, I could saddle a horse and knew my horse program pretty good, and I'd actually been rodeoing up to that time, roping and stuff. And uh, so when he found out I was a roper, oh man, I was on. He took me out. Yeah, it was like the 25th of July, and he had hunters coming the first August, and he's still catching his horses. This. This other outfitter, not Dennis. Dennis is in the mountains, ready. But this other feller. It's <laughs> off to a slow start that He year. was just a little bit rough. And I was, he took me on. He says, yeah, we're still catching horses. And he wanted me to catch this one horse in this string. Uh, we went up north of White Horse there, about 954 up there in the burn, where the horses ranging. And got up on a big hill up there and scouted around and found that bunch down there and there was a pinnel mare. Queenie, they called her. Catch Queenie was the deal. <laughs> and I had two guys with me and me being just a kid. I could coil the rope though and I'd been roping cattle a little bit and stuff. So I kind of knew my rope thing a little bit. Mounted on something that he'd, he'd used, his horses. And these two guys with their cowboy hats tied on wearing running shoes. One of them spoke German, the other, thing, the other guy was half English. <laughs> this was my crew. But I was pretty green too, but I at least been around a little. <laughs> we got up there and we snuck down there and busted into that meadow after them old ponies and just to get in there. And they just scattered like quail anyway. <laughs> and uh, pretty quick, I had nobody. These guys are supposed to help me gather, you know, get them out in the open. I was supposed to rope old Queenie, just like that. Well, no one was around anymore, not. But I kept, I knew enough to follow them. That old pinto mare, you know, they was all fat and can go travel too good. And I'd track her and catch up and bust them, and away we go. Anyway, that went on for through the morning and <laughs> got noon time, and it was time to eat. I was pretty hungry, you know. A kid back then would eat pretty good, and. Uh, I stopped to eat, pulled my old lunch out, opened her up there, and here I looked. That dirty old coot, he'd give me raw bacon sandwiches. 
<laughs> Boy, I'll tell you what, if that, I didn't know much about hunting outfits or anything about much of any kind of outfit, but I knew one thing. The grub on this thing, ain't, this outfit ain't really that. A July raw bacon sandwich? A July raw bacon sandwich. And I, I'm not really certain even if I ate it. That's a long time ago. So, anyway, that was my introduction to maybe a hunting outfit. And from there, what kind of what kind of animals did you pick up to start guiding? Well, it all came down to where it came together because Dennis Collison he come to town to for groceries or something, and I'd left word with his expediter that I wanted to go to work. Well, he actually remembered who I was and whatnot, and was ready to take me to work. He was looking for a hand, so we connected. And I told him I wanted to come and wrangle. And he says, no, I don't hire wranglers. I go, oh, crap, well, there goes my career. <laughs> he says, but I'll take you guide. You come and you guide for me. And you work with either him or his brother by the name of Lash Collison. This is an old pioneer family that from the early start of outfit in the Collison family. And these were the two brothers. Lash was 65 at that time. This was in 75. And Dennis was like 61 or something. So they was, you know, they'd done this. That's all they'd done. And he says, no, you'll come and guide for me. Holy moly, all of a sudden I turned into a guide. I couldn't even spell Wrangler. Got a graduation <laughs> degree right there. But he said, you'll work with either me or Lash. I said, well, I'm game to go. And so off I went. And uh, he hunted dull sheep. He had a dull sheep area in the southwest corner of the Yukon. One of the premier outfits up there for dull sheep, too. Like just, they were like fleas. And like I say, yeah, you, you could find them because they were there. They were everywhere. And so that's how I went straight to work for lot or for Dennis, and worked with him right out of his camp. Uh, his wife Marge, she cooked, and I guided, and Dennis guided. And of course, I wrangled too, being the green hand. I was the, the one that had to go get the horses. I just didn't have the official title of being wrangler. I was guide. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but and old that Dennis, he told me, you know, when you walk, see them sheep, then. Rams, you look at them from get get around beside where you can look at them straight across, eh? Make sure that tip of that horn goes past the front of their nose, you know, over the top of their nose before you kill them. Okay, that's good. I that was the rule, you know. <laughs> I guess that was my guide education. <laughs> and what were you using for for spotting scopes? Dennis had went to town and bought me a set of 735 Bosch and Lone Madonna. <laughs> Those were my binoculars, and they're hanging up there on the wall. Still have them to right this now. day. 735s. And uh, I didn't have a spot in scope. Yeah. But my first hunter, a fellow from, uh, he was an old football player from Alabama or somewhere, Neil Mott was his name, and he he had an old Bushnell Space Master spot in scope. It was probably new, I, I don't remember, but it was anyway. It's old now. Um, it is old now. <laughs> and he, um, 
he had the scope. So anyway, we went up the hill, and after opening morning there, off we went, and I got looking around. Be damned if I didn't find a ram up there, very first day. Look at that, laying right there. And I uh, got up there, and holy smoke, yeah, he's three or four inches. I can see past his nose. He got to be legal. That's what Dennis told me. Go ahead and kill him, shoot him. Got boom, down he went. Holy moly, 40 incher. First sheep, first day, first everything. I didn't hardly know how to gut him. <laughs> You're not supposed to be a damn guide. But I had me a 40 incher on the ground opening morning. There's nothing good with sheep hunting. Easy. <laughs> it's been downhill ever since. Ever since, man, <laughs> I've been going backwards. She's been a tailspin. But uh, by golly, that old hunter gave me that scope, that Bushmaster. Or not Bushmaster, Bushnell Spacemaster 2, variable 25 to 40, I think it was. I packed that in a wool sock with me for years, I used that. And in them days, you know what, this is just a little technology history, we didn't pack tripods. Mm -hmm. Let's fire the tripods all over the country. Right here. See that cowboy hat? Everybody wore cowboy hats and this ball cap thing. It wasn't even round like I mean. You see that right there? On top of that cowboy hat? And that crease. That crease? You lay that on a rock right there and get that old space master laying in there. By golly, you could line that up where you needed it. <laughs> you look at anything you'd need. Hell, it was right there all the time, right there. You just put that on your cowboy hat, right through that crease right there. People want to talk about ultralight hunting. I think using your hat as your tripod is probably the lightest way to do it. Yeah, yeah. But hey, that was the deal then. But what was your backpack? <laughs> yeah, right? ultralight, huh? Ultralight. Here again. Ultra I mean, pack horses. Come on. Now you guys. <laughs> oh, we're unearthing a dinosaur. Here. You guys are digging a little deep here, but doggone it. Uh, uh, back then, even the grain sacks. You know, you, when you ordered grain, you didn't get it in these dang plastic nylon sacks. You got it in a real burlap sack, like burlap. You know, the real deal. Well, I found some old laddie goes. Now, if you put a rock in the corner of that sack <laughs> and tie that, that laddie go strap around there, or a leather strap, that'll hold stronger than any of these damn nylon clip fits, buck, buckles, and whatnot. <laughs> and then you just bring your straps up and you two half inches around the top, you're built. Pack a sheet. Yeah. Get any ram in there. <coughs> Sheep will fit. Light cake, meat, whatever. Yeah. So at, at that point, that's kind of when you fell in love with guiding, I would assume. I wouldn't know whether we want to put the word love in there. Oh, okay. But you knew it, <laughs> yeah, you knew well, that was it your. Yeah, was something that fit. You wanted to do that. It sure fit. And and not only that, part of it was the people. Mm -hmm. That was one thing about the that those like the Collison family and brothers and whatnot. They. <laughs> they could sell ice to an Eskimo. <laughs> they just were people people. They knew, they knew how to work people and you wanted to work for them. Mm -hmm. They were good people, good bush people. And uh, yeah, I fit in there pretty good. I stayed there five years with Dennis until he sold out. 
the government body mode. Really? It's a LEH area now, resident only. I took the last, actually Lash and I both killed the last rams to come out of that area, non-resident rams. Um, this would have been about 1980. Um, my ram went 42 and a half inches. Oh my god. 174 points. Last he killed a 40 inch or 42 inch as well. I we beat him by about. His <laughs> um, didn't quite hit the book. Yeah. Um, it was uh, about 169 ish or so. And uh, I beat the old booger on the last round anyway. He was 174. And. Uh, so that was a pretty good way to finish her off. She, uh, she, she worked out pretty good. Uh, but that was the caliber of sheep that was there. We had some good, you know, 14 half inch base rams, real, the real, real good doll sheep. Had to have a right time to wear that time <laughs> stamp was. Go back and fix that one. Don't worry about it. You're good. Anyway, yeah. So that was. But killing that last sheep was a fun deal, or not a fun deal, but it had a little story to it too because. Um, I found him and uh, I had a hunter from Austria. He was a doggone count even. Like, I mean, I think that's pretty high up over there, you know. Uh, count von... Lichtenstein. Stromberg or something it was. Oh, wow. Yeah, like he had a real name, Count. Right. And he wore his little woolly pants and little funny hat with the flower in it and stuff. Lederhosen? Yeah, you know, the real deal. And uh, sure, if that's what it's called. I don't know if that's <laughs> he, what it's called. I'm he, just throwing starts at the dartboard and missing. He's, uh, uh, but he couldn't speak much English, or you know, a real, you know. But he but, understood shoot, I'm sure. Well, eventually. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, because I found these rams, and there was just two of them, uh -huh. and the buggers would they was laying out on just like on that big hill up there, plumb wide open, on a big old caribou mountain almost. And there was just nowhere to get cover to get to them, and so and didn't want to booger it up because this is a big old toad. Like I could, I by then I'd gained enough knowledge to know what a big sheep was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, um, so we'd ride up there every day and look at him and check him out, and they just wouldn't move off of where they was at. And so I, we'd we'd scope him out and. We almost had him named. Like I mean, we'd see him every day, and so we'd eat our lunch and lay down, have a nap, and look at him, and then finally get up and go home, back to camp. Well, old Count von Stromberg, he he was just all smiles and happy, you know, everything was great. We didn't do a lot of visiting because there's a little bit of language issue. But anyway, um, finally we got up there one morning, and they was right on our borderline of Dennis's area, his, his guide area, it was a part of the issue. And if we busted them and they went over the top, we were going to lose them. That's why it was part of the deal. I was kind of scared of them losing. So anyway, lo and behold, um, these rams out in one morning, here they are right on the borderline, right on the skyline. They worked their way up there. And now it was push come shove. We got to make a move, whether we bust them, whether we... Well, back then you're not shooting 500 yards. No, you got to no. get you got to get close. Well, you know those guys were probably pretty good. They had them great big walnut stock guns that were about four feet long. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know them European guns. They're pretty 
pretty good, right? But anyhow, um, but that also give us enough room because of the curl of the hill of the mountain to get underneath and get a, get off our mountain onto their mountain. And so we did, and we made a move and went into up their side and whatnot. And lo and behold, here they come, back down to feed, back into that little draw, that little basin where they'd been. And so we ended up letting the air out of him. He got down close enough and that old guy hit him and knocked him down. By golly, he was a real nice shoot. So getting to learn guiding from the folks that taught you, looking back on it now, and, and you've said, you know, they were sort of pioneers, you know, and, you know, they were top dogs of the Yukon at the time. Looking back on it now, do you think that that influenced you and and oh, it was huge. You know, gave it was it was their way or the highway. Yeah, believe me. Well, and how did that help shape you and form you going into later years? You know, after 1980 or 81 when they sold out and it became a resident-only hunting well, area. It was a deal where you knew what worked and what didn't. You mm -hmm. could recognize. Things that just weren't it, right. It gave you a standard. It sure did. It, it was, I'll never regret it. I mean, that was the best thing that ever happened was to go in there and work like that, as green as I was, because um, if you went in there, um, well, put it this way, like, or Dennis only hired fire, four guides. He only had four guides. That's all we just small outfit. And if you were, uh, you needed to know your stuff. Uh, there was no... Sink or swim. That's it, man. You get and, on or you don't. And that was where I was. I had no baggage. I mean, I was... I only knew one way, and I was... Like they said, you... You were a blank page. I was so a they blank made page. They Holy <laughs> Tabula Rosa. Did they ever write on me, though? Holy man. <laughs> <laughs> they would work you to, like a dog until you're ready to quit. And, oh, you just... Worst part was I didn't know which way the highway was. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know which way down or I might have took a run for it, but um, but they're good people. They they there was a there was a way to, right way to do things and that's just the way it was done. Yeah. And you didn't uh, you, you know, on your stocks or whatever, if there was a question <coughs> about the wind or cover or uh, something wasn't a hundred percent, you just didn't do it. Mm -hmm. You didn't take a chance on like this sheep deal is eight days we went and sat and watched this ram yeah. at, at like 600 yards or whatever it was and actually when I come back we kill the sheep we go to camp that night and that's when I found out how much old uh, my hunter uh, the Austrian guy college guy <laughs> found out how much he was understanding because that night in camp he uh, he described his hunt. He said, "Every day we go on the mountain. We we sleep. We look. Hello, Mr. Sheep. We we sleep. Goodbye, Mr. Sheep. Tomorrow we see you. We go home." That was he thought I was trail riding, and he said, "Today we go. We kill Mr. Sheep." He thought we could have done that any day of the week. <laughs> Somehow I wasn't. He he wasn't understanding it. It, there was a questionable doubt that we could kill that ram. And he thought, oh, just today we go kill Mr. Sheep. 
Because we did. We just went up there and killed him. But he didn't understand everything that went into right. the pregame of it. That's what I'm saying. Like, and that's the way Dennis and Lash were. They, they said, "Don't make a move. You don't take a chance. You don't try and sneak a." Don't make it happen. Yeah, it's got to happen. Don't force it. Yeah, yeah. Don't and, force it. And that was why I say it was that way, uh, and that way about everything. Mm -hmm. You didn't. Your axe. You should. You better be able to skin with that thing. Like it wasn't a club; it was an axe to cut things. Mm -hmm. And you didn't leave it lean, uh, just leaning against a stump or tree or whatever, because you could step on the corner of that bit, and it would cut your heel half open. Yeah. Any axe either stuck in a block or laid flat on the axe. ground, and there you go. That that was just their the way it was. Now that it's kind of funny, he touched on that because we covered that up in the. Yep. cabin there because there was an axe leaning like that and I was like okay that's right and it this these axes don't this is not how you put an axe away that's right and and, it, and that came from uh when Lysh explained it to me he said he had this was back in his earlier years a fellow trapper had an adjoining line to his wherever he was at actually stepped on an axe like that and cut his foot on the line in the winter and damn near died. He was he was laid up all winter and couldn't run his line. And Lash run both them lines that winter because that axe was 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 uh, dangerous. And so that's that's what I'm saying. No, that's just the de degree of excellence they they looked at, looked for. Well, it, it's so funny just hearing when it was told to you to having just come off the mountain to what you're talking about. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times Dallas was like, man, that axe is so sharp, I could shave with it. Right. And then also, you know, hearing, you know, and that's that's the tradition and, and legacy of what was taught to you in the 70s, in the late 70s, being passed on over here to Monty and then Monty sharing it with Taylor. Here we are in 2019. Yeah, here we are in 2019. The and it's still the, exact, the bush hasn't changed. At all, the game is still the same. It's, yeah. it's changed, obviously. Of course, but yeah. The rules of the bush are still the same. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it's very true. And that, like I say, that's just uh, the, in some respects, the shame of, or not the shame, but the way the bush is changing out here. Um, those life skills are not recognized as much as they as were. As much as they were in the early year back in the day because back in the day it was life or death so would, i was and that's what i was going to ask do you feel that that's because of lack of necessity for people to understand the skill lack of experience yeah and necessity yes now saying lack of experience how much of that do you think is chalked up to and i don't want to say uh the sheep hunting generation is is getting older yeah. And there's a big age gap between where you're at and, and where where you're at, Monty, and, and where you're at, Ricky. And I feel like there's an age gap in there of a lot of information that needs to be passed down mm -hmm. from the guys who have been doing it for 40-plus years like yourself, you know, and handing on that information to the next generation because how detrimental is that kind of information well, to the guys that are going to be taking it over, you just, know, for example, and coming in. I'll bet at, if you 
went into our major or a good number of the sheep camps now, these backpack camps and all this style of hunting, there's not even an axe included in the whole outfit. Mm -hmm. There'll be a little fold-up saw this big. To be whatever. lightweight. Lightweight and all, but that's just the evolution or the changing the way um, things are going. Mm -hmm. But if you look at our brochure, on the very cover it says traditional outfit. Yeah. Traditional. Well, and that's something that I loved reading your brochure. You know, when I when I was checking it out and I found out I was coming up here and all that, you know, because one of my buddies back home, that's his big thing is traditional pack horse hunting. And it's it's yeah. it's getting to be a it's an art form in my you know in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And horse hunting in itself is a dying in, uh, segment of this industry. Um, because we've lost so much knowledge in managing and uh, hunting or using horses. Livestock. Livestock, period. Well, they take a lot of work, too. They it's are. A and a lot of money all year around. round. A whole lot easier to fire up a jet boil and buy a new pair of boots than it is to have 15 head of horses and shoe them and winter them and run a string yeah well something All i love about your guys' horses out here and it's i noticed it on horseback my horse is eating sticks oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean my it's not just looking for some you know friendly green grass or this or that i mean it's anything Time that comes. it can eat yeah. it's eating because they're all all your horses are born here and yeah. majority of them will all die here and they've never other than being on a pack string and you know, mm -hmm. taken around true. the valleys, they've never been outside of this area. That's right. Nope. They've never seen a flake of hay. They get, yeah. they get kicked out here. Well, right now they're we're pulling shoes out there, and the majority of the string is back on the range already. Right now, kicked they're, out. They're done for the year. They're they won't see us till we'll come in and check on them midwinter. <laughs> but they won't see us till next spring. Yeah, you know they survive, and that's where you say. <laughs> Well, Clown was eating sticks. Well, Clown. yeah, he was. I love that horse. <laughs> love that horse. <laughs> no, you're right. It's very true. And that's, that's the, the one thing that has changed so much is, is these traditional horse outfits. are. Um, there's still a, a niche for them. There's still a market. Yeah. But there's also, the market is getting, is, is swinging away from it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but... Well, and, you know, for example, also, you know, my buddy who run, he runs uh, Kika Outfitters down in, down in California and does desert sheep hunting, and he does horseback hunts. Mm -hmm. And he, that's something that he is really trying to focus on, bringing back his traditional horse, horseback hunting, you know, and, and running well, a string and doing the whole deal. And it, for me, getting to watch it from, from down there on desert sheep hunts to up here on moose elk caribou goat and sheep hunts and whatever other you know wolf hunts you know but uh, on the other hand uh, if you look at this big picture what's going on here in this outfit um i can see or i can i recognize that the reason it is what it is or has maintained what it is is because of these two guys here it's it, you have to have capable, qualified people like Monty and Ricky that 
are either raised in the business or raised in the livestock industry or with this exposure in order to maintain this. Um, this way of life. This way of life and keep an operation like this. Because um, there's no roads out here. No. No, you no. don't. You don't drive into this. We're three days lodge. from the highway. Yeah. Like yeah. No no. Because we flew in Dallas and I flew in on a plane. Yeah. To a grass yeah. landing strip. And you'll leave again on a plane. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're 100 air miles from the nearest road. So, yeah. But that's the the depth or what has been able to allow us to maintain this operation and and keep the standard that we have is because of their abilities. Mm -hmm. So um, now we're going to go back a little bit. We'll circle back. So 1980, 81, they sold their outfit. You moved on, I'm assuming, to another outfit. You ended up having this fella somewhere four or five years right after that. 85. 85, yeah, we're the same age. Yeah. And, uh, well, I was actually at the time... Um, Dennis Collison, who I'd been with for five years and was quite established, or you know, we were really kicking butt. Yeah, well, you know, I was work, knew, knew the deal. He wanted me actually to, wanted my wife and I to take his outfit over. He actually wanted to see us running it, involved in that operation, taking that operation. And we actually went to the government to look into a, a you know, to start, pro, you know, putting something together. But the government had a different um, focus at that time. They they wanted to uh, they wanted to buy the area. The government wanted to buy them out to establish a resident only area. And that was the Alaskan government. Yukon. The Yukon government. Yukon government. Excuse me. And so. They said no. We won't allow you to sell it privately. We will. We will. They made a deal on it and whatnot. So I went on. Uh, actually, I went to start a career in the leather business, building saddles and boots. And you do great leather work. And by the way, that's when I started. Plug that one right there. Uh, <laughs> was when Dennis sold out, he said, yeah, maybe you ought to go see what you can learn, you know? And so I did. I went to Oklahoma for a year and got the recipe building custom boots and saddles. And came back and established a boot and saddle business. But on the same token, every season, hunting season, I'd lock the door or find someone else to Take over for a little while. Yeah, and off, I, I'd still make sure we got to the mountains. We still guide, take family and guide. Mm -hmm. For it wouldn't be the entire season because I just couldn't do it. But that's kind of where I went. I went to the whole, went to the territories for just briefly with Greg Williams up there. Worked for other outfits in the Yukon. Uh, well, these outfitters are all gone now, but. You know, uh, Clay Martin and Rod Hardy, and, you know, worked around, then actually came here. Like, And they were all the guys that were passing on the tradition to you. They were. Well, back in those days, yeah, like it was such a different world. Yeah. Hunting business was, it was a bottle of whiskey on a, with a buck knife on a hood of a Ford truck. 
That's how you book your hunt. Yeah. The sort of thing. Like none of this, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. I mean, you're in for the deal. Yeah. But anyway, it was just it's just changed so much. But um, and then hunted in BC here, came to BC, started hunting stone sheep um, around the country, different outfits. Eighty-three was the first year I worked here for the Peck family mm -hmm. in this original outfit. They, this uh, this outfit actually has only changed hands once. And that's from the Pecks to you. From the Pecks, uh, Don Peck. He started here in 1957. Wow. And uh, then it, he he died in 1980, I think it was, or 81. And his son, Ross, that he took it over, run it for another 20-some years. And then they came to Lori and I and asked us if we would come and manage it in 1999. Yeah. And at this point, You'd been guiding out here and coming out here and bringing uh, the family out here for... Well, not consistently. Mm -hmm. um, 83 was the first year I guided and then here for a season and elsewhere for a season and whatever. Uh, but And then came back here in 86, I think it was. But uh, uh, in 99, we took on a contract to manage it full time for five years. And then at the end of that, uh, we put a deal together, changed the name, and that's when we... What was the name prior? Ross Pack Outfit. Ross Pack, and now it's Toshody River. Yeah, we, changed, we, we, we bought it in, uh, in uh, 2005, I think it's when we changed the name, to Toshody River, and uh, that's Here kind we of are. So for you, because you're, so by the time you purchased and, and Monty, for you, you're 20 years old at the time. It ish. is 2005 yeah. to, or 85 to 2005, so ish. Yeah. Sure. Um, what was it like for you growing up in town and then starting to come out here or spending time, and, and same with you, Ricky, what what was that like for you guys? I, and I don't know if you were, you know, wrangling or anything back in town or working with horses or rodeo or anything like that, but... Well, uh, like Monty, he high school rodeoed, and he's 10 years older than, than myself, and so I... He started when he was 16, so I'd be, you know, six kind of around the rodeo world. But yeah, every year in June, we would... The whole, Everything the whole clan would load up. The dog up. and cats and, yeah. and kids and horses, everything would <clears throat> pack up and we'd come up here and we'd stay from, you know, it was usually June 15th or whatever it was. It was. As, as soon as school was out, we were gone. As soon as school was out, yeah, everybody packed up and we came up here until uh, this time, until October 15th, we'd go back and catch up on whatever school we missed. And, and uh, yeah, that's just the way things were. Everybody's excited to go to the mountains and... and uh, and this was, you know, almost more of a home than, uh, I mean, we bought and sold places in town and stuff, but every year we came back here to the same camp, and so, and so this has been a, a huge part of, uh, you know, our childhood. Yeah. yeah, I mean, your your entire life. Yeah. Not just your childhood, because right. for sure. Well, yeah, especially we your here. entire life. Like when I was four, we started here, but before that, we when I was three, we worked at for Stone Mountain, and then when I was two, we worked for uh, Greg Williams. Yeah. And uh, and so yeah, I guess since I was two, every every summer until I was about until I graduated, until I was eighteen, um, 
we were in a hunting camp somewhere. So what was that like, getting to grow up in the bush? Is there a better place to grow up? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, and was, I grew up in the no, town. So. This, this was normal. the ultimate place to be a kid. Yeah. Absolutely. Mind you, when we started here, I was 13. Mm-hmm. And I was in the crew. I wasn't, I didn't do the kid stuff. I was. You were working. I was working. It was still yeah. great. I mean, that's just yeah. what we did. But you weren't shooting squirrels. You were in the bunkhouse skinning. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, your, your play was all work. It was. Yeah, the work was the play. And that's, I don't know, I, I still feel that way. You know, you take take your enjoyment out of your work that you're actually doing. Well, for me, getting to watch you skin out Dallas's ram. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I could just see the enjoyment that you're having. Well, I had a really hard time keeping the them out of it. But stay out of it. This is one let of the me, parts of my job that I really enjoy. So let me, me do my thing. Yeah. I just tried to stay out of the way the whole time. <laughs> yeah, for sure, there's... I mean, pretty much all we did was work. Some work didn't, some work wasn't fun and some work was fun. And the yeah. fun work you had fun doing. Yeah. And the bad work, you got through it and got on to the fun work. But yeah. the whole time, it establishes a work ethic that is not being established now we at all. See it. There isn't one. No. There is no work ethic That's among right. people in our. Yeah. The, you know the three of ours generation or generational gap because yeah. it's yeah. ten year separation yeah, that, but that's uh, established through connection with livestock yeah is where it's at period whether it's a goldfish in a tank whether it's 50 head of milk cows or 100 head of pack horses whatever it's gotta it's gotta be linked or, I mean, the work ethic is developed through necessity. Necessity, and it's your it's an, it's your responsibility, whatever, for caring for another living animal that establishes work ethic. Mm-hmm. It's part of the part of the process of establishing work ethic. Well, and really, just living out here, taking care of each other. Just living requires work, you know. Like yeah. that's right. to cook your meal, you gotta go get firewood. Yeah. Or but first you gotta go cut firewood. Gotta go cut firewood, or you yeah. gotta go cut poles to put up your tent. Yeah. So that you can build and fence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, keep your keep there's your horses really nothing around. out here that doesn't require some sort of effort. You know, we're far enough away from everything, and it's a primitive way of life. Out, not primitive, but primitive enough that it is. It's work. Constant, mm-hmm. yeah. And and now I'm going to circle back to the axe, you know, and, and that being something that you passed along in the tradition. What has it been like for you passing along the tradition and you know the heritage and the understanding of the outdoors and this way of life, passing it along to them and instilling it in them and. You know, the teachable moments that you're able to pass along to them while you're sitting out in the corral with the horses or it's something going happens, down trail. Uh, it's something that happens subconsciously. Yeah. It's not that, okay, today, here's the lesson. It's something that... Um, the teachable moments that happen... That's right. It, unknowing. Yeah. Unknowingly and um, occur naturally. 
it's not okay we'll set up this situation and this is going to happen and that's going to happen no 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 no. yeah it's got to it, be organic it's it's all of a sudden okay get your <coughs> get this done or you 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 be here or like uh you do this because this is going to happen or to prevent this from happening or in order to make there's just so much that has it just it's just a way of life that's what it is mm -hmm. and um it it can occur um, at any moment, and you don't know it, and you don't even have to. Uh, you don't say, "Okay, now remember that," because it's something that you're not. This forget. will stay with you forever. It <laughs> doesn't work like that. That's right. Yeah. And 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 I'm not saying we're the only. By any means, we're the only traditional, or the only ones doing this, but. There's other operations I've worked on, like I say, through the years on, on on different outfits that are operating and are functioning and have a great reputation and are doing a good job, but they're doing it at their own cost too because they don't understand that there could be a different way. That oh, um, you mean we can do it another way? Mm -hmm. But they've not come from the background, or had the his the understanding had, of the bush. That's right, um, or had the proper method, or the, I don't know whether the proper method. It's, uh, you can't say it, it's not right if you're receive, if you're obtaining the results that you want. Regardless of the method, mm -hmm. and um, you are your safety is first of you plus whatever you're dealing with animals or whatever. If you if you're obtaining the same result and it's adequate for your standard, you can't say it's wrong. It's just that there are things that can be done in a way that are more effective, more efficient, and that comes from being exposed to those ways or those times in your past somewhere. Well, like you were saying, Lash was working through the early 1900s. Here we are in the early 2000s. There's a hundred years of experience that is getting, you know, mm -hmm. passed down, and so there's ways and methods that we know work and things that we know not to do because that doesn't work and and uh, and so there's uh, you know a lot of unwritten stuff that that gets uh, yeah passed down and, and is still a, a big part of the functionality of, of this outfit it seems yeah like Bannock like Bannock Bannock is important Bannock's very important. <laughs> yeah, I found that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. Well, that was that was the traditional, the old trappers. But they used to, uh, on the trap line, bannock was a staple. Every meal had a bannock. And they used to build it in the top of their flower sack. Mm -hmm. They'd make a little hole there and pour in a little bit of water, a little bit of this and that, and they'd mix it right in the flower sack. Pour it out and throw it in the pan. Fry it up. You didn't need no mixing bowl. Mm -mm. That was the traditional bannock way, or the old trapper style bannock. Yeah. 
So speaking of trap lines, you guys ran it. Did you guys run a trap line or? This area had a trap line attached to it when yeah. we purchased it. And we've done a, uh, some trapping on it. We haven't trapped it full time. Um, we've had a, a, uh, another fella or a couple other guys that have, that have trapped full time here. Um, it's such a remote area for us to get to the trap all year long consistently. Yeah. So, but it has been trapped. Yes, this area has been maintained. Uh, the trap line is run every every winter. And how much do you think? Because uh, you guys used to be able to hunt bears out here. Yeah. Bears are no longer allowed to be hunted. Um, I don't know if you were ever able to to kill unlimited wolves or how the wolf. And you guys could explain that better, and I could understand it better, I'm sure. Um, to, or for me to have a better understanding of, of the wolf population and how that correlates with tags and quotas and whatever else. Um, but something, and we noticed this, or, or I saw calves yeah, on the we, mountain. Yeah. And you were like, that's great. There's elk calves there. Yeah. Um, you know, and... and what has it been like watching it go from being able to have some sort of predator management, you know, and, and helping the animal herds, you know, continue to be successful and thrive to kind of where maybe it's it's been questionable in the past and you know, and I and I understand it kick glove to talk about kick glove. Well discussion. I can put it in perspective from my from where I'm at because as long as I've been around and noticing yeah. You know, I was 13 the first year we were here. Um, that was right at the end of the era where we could hunt bears, just a general over the season, over the counter tag. You know, there was no lottery, no, no quotas on bears. And I can remember not seeing bears. You never saw bears. Yeah. To this trip where your dad restricted. has seen seven. Exactly. This last 10 days or nine days, whatever it's been, dad's seen seven bears different bears and Not one within bear. 50 yards <laughs> exactly <laughs> closing so now that goes to tell you something's not right anymore yeah it's a little out of balance yeah to me it is yeah. and the wolves i mean we do as much as we can with the wolves with the trapping um and every hunter you know every hunter that comes through here has a wolf tag that's pretty low odds that you're going to shoot a wolf but if you see one, if if you if you do you get have lucky, the you know we do generally throughout the year we'll take a wolf or two, but it's just not a high percentage deal. Yeah, the wolves are, the wolves need some management. Need some management, absolutely. Yeah. And so, what would you say that the impact is on the wildlife herds? You know, or on the on the, I would say elk at, and moose and at the moment calf population, sheep, lamb population. Bears are definitely our biggest issue at the moment with the elk and moose populations. Mm -hmm. um, they're knocking the hell out of the calves. Like, obviously, it was noteworthy for me to say there was calves there. Yeah. Right? When we saw those cows, that's kind of tells you where the, where the situation's at there. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the sheep, the bears aren't. Well, the sheep, and, I, and I'm not saying that the sheep population is bad because no, no, we when we were out there, I think we saw, you know, nothing less than 15 rams a day. Yeah, exactly. So, at least except for the the days that we were 
other than the stopped days when by we weather. See. Yeah. Um, the wolves. The wolves are definitely an issue with the sheep, um, but not so much as what people don't realize is the coyote and the wolverine, and the worst one is the golden eagle. Really? Absolutely. The, wor the, the golden eagle will kill more sheep than any of them other predators. Really? Yeah. Eagles do not eat berries. No, no. I wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> no. And they don't eat the, I mean, they'll eat some dead stuff, but they're you probably can, usually the ones doing you, the killing, too. You can actually spot or locate sheep yeah. by watching eagles, believe it or not. Really? I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen eagles chasing elk calves. Like it's not, that, and of course that's you know not what anybody wants to hear, but it's going down. Yeah, those eagles are detrimental to sheep herds. Really? Yep. Knock, they'll knock the the lambs off of you know if it gets they get them into somewhere steep, they'll knock them lambs. If the lambs are small enough, they'll just pick them up and drop them. They're very a very efficient predator on sheep. Wow. And what would you say would help, you know, with predator management? We need more of it. Yeah. It, it has to be politi politically driven, though. Or, I mean, or I'm saying that's the biggest hurdle is the politics. Yes. Mm -hmm. Politically approved. Acceptable. Accepted, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the bottom line. And now would you say that that just comes from... Uh, large populated areas having a lack of understanding of how yeah. nature is actually working. And yeah. separation is getting too big between those two things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what do you think is one of the leading causes of driving that separation from reality and what people are society convincing themselves? Society now is, is disconnected from we're not part of it here. There nature is, is there's a huge disconnect between society and nature. Mm -hmm. And it's just the evolution of society. I mean, technology is growing, making, I mean, everything is progressing and whatnot. You don't have to live in the bush anymore. You, you don't have it. to live like a Neanderthal like we do. <laughs> right. <laughs> but there's something to be said. I mean, for me, this has been some of the most enjoyable stuff that I've gotten to do. You know, I mean, aside from going to my cabin in the Sierras back in California, which is no electricity and no no internet, no, you know, you're disconnected from everything. And like, sure, there's internet here, and it's you can send a text message, maybe, maybe on a good day, on a good day, you know, and that's about the extent of it. Which I like that, mm -hmm. you know. So to me, that's kind of like to not having looked at my my Instagram or my any of my stuff for the last. 12 days or whatever has kind of been like this is <laughs> I like it's this real deal. Yeah. yeah that gets old after 120 days though I bet it does <laughs> for you because you're a millennial right yeah yeah, yeah. you're I need my snapchat yeah yeah no kidding why doesn't my snapchat work on top of this mountain can't get these good pictures on my snapchat anymore yeah oh the filters aren't loading yeah no you're right but the, the it's not only politics it's got to get lined up or whatever it's the the um, people that are involved I guess it goes back to politics but the people that are in in positions to make the decisions that affect the, out here uh, the the regulation ch changes and the actual 
um, the management decisions. The management decisions. The people that are involved in those situations are not always. I don't want to say qualified, but not always. They're not outdoors experienced. Yeah. Experienced in what's happening here, and it, to f understand what's happening here. Um, you don't do it by driving down the the oil lease road looking at the at the sign on the edge of the road. Um, you take for what we're doing, you know. And you can't even you can't even do it with a flyover. No, out of a helicopter and all that business. Because you can't see through the trees. <laughs> well, not only that, you're here for eight hours yeah. or two hours, whatever it is. Yeah. You need to be here for 120 days. Yeah, yeah it takes boots on the ground to feel what's happening. Now, do you also, and this is one of our problems, or has been one of our problems in California, it's slowly in an evolution right now where it's changing a little bit, um, where a lot of our biologists or people who are doing counts or coming up with, you know, and I'm doing air quotes, scientific research, and what they're offering as their research, in my opinion, is slanted one direction against outdoorsmen and hunters because their end game is to get rid of hunting and outdoorsmen. So do you think that having biologists and and uh, people doing the research that are also outdoorsmen and hunter and have a better understanding of... They've got to be more open-minded. Yeah. yeah. Period. Yeah. Um, and acknowledge that there is more than a latte with triple foam, whatnot, the, on top of it. The thing is, it comes down to there's no room for political right-wing, left-wing bullshit. bullshit when it comes to wildlife management. Right. Wildlife management is, there's a black and white right and wrong way to do it, mm -hmm. so to speak. You know, it's... Yeah. it's well, it's, we've had our hands in it for... Exactly. We, we played, we played with centuries. Mother Nature's game for way too long for her to keep playing it on her own. Mm -hmm. Everybody says, just let it take care of itself. <laughs> We've screwed it up so bad. It went balanced, but it would take 150 years. Exactly. And us as humans aren't that patient. Mm -hmm. And so in order to keep it at what we consider a healthy functioning state, um, these management tools have to be used. Yeah. yeah. Such as predator control. Predator control, um, range enhancement. Uh, in this particular valley, prescribed fire was uh, one of the key factors of building the wildlife populations that are here. Well, and that was detrimental to your sheep population, if I understood correctly, in conversations over the last few The lack few of days. fire, you mean? Well, just doing, having fires, you know, and that allowing new range for the sheep to you know, right. inhabit and grow their population. Well, all, I, in my opinion, it all comes down to uh, winter habitat. Summertime, there's grass everywhere, you know, and, and whatnot, but the limiting factor is winter habitat and these open slopes that are burnt with that young grass full of nutrients, um, that's what they're wintering on. And so you're feeding more critters through the wintertime. Um, that's what's going to, you know, those, those limiting factors are what you have to look at. Mm -hmm. And see the downside that you may be referring to, or, or 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 if there is a downside to it, with the increase in habitat uh, improvement. Yes, it does improve the sheep, 
but it also improves the elk and the caribou and, and whatnot, the all ungulates. But along with that comes the um, influx or the increase in predator pressure because of more ungulates. So once you start increasing the ungulate numbers, your predators come too. So if you're managing the ungulates by increasing their, their habitat and whatnot, you've got to manage your predators as well. Otherwise, it gets out of balance, and that's what has happened. Yeah. So in, there is somewhat of a negative side to it because the political climate will not acknowledge the predator component um, that needs the management just as much as the, the ungulates. So. so coming around into, you know, modern, modern times after, you know, you guys have been out here for 14 years, running, owning, managing, you know, doing the whole deal. What is it like for you guys as a family? You know, because you, tomorrow, essentially everybody leaves here and yeah. goes back to their own houses. And, you know, you're not going to be sleeping in the cabin next to your cabin, next to dad's cabin, next to, you know, next. And you got the kitchen on the other side of the property. And, you know, what what happens when... Uh, we go home and take a big sigh of relief and realize we don't have to look at each other again tomorrow. <laughs> we don't have to build a fire. We don't have to go to the cold outhouse. And, you know, Frozen the toilet seat. <laughs> Horses can stay out. They don't need to come in at 4 o'clock tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. So what has it been like for you two learning from your dad? Watching all this. I mean, it's, you know, it's, and and feel free to, you know, say. This has been, I mean, since I've been four years old, obviously. Yeah. Obviously, it made enough of an impact on me that since I was a little kid, number one, I wanted to be a sheep guide. Number two, I wanted to be an outfitter. And we talked about living the dream. Living the dream. And that was your dream ever since that's you were it was. a kid. That's, what, that's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. <laughs> like that picture on the wall back there. Yeah, I'm seven years old holding that big stringer of Graylin. Yeah. You know, that's, this is where I was. <laughs> There's three pictures right there. Yeah. Yeah. Ricky in the center picture is what, three years old? Yeah. That'd be four. Four years old with a 40-inch ram. With his that's a nice in. ram. With his sister holding that, um, uh, it's a client sheep. And then the next picture is Monty again with a set of moose horns as tall as he is. Yeah. And you're what, eight years old there, maybe? Uh, yeah, seven or eight. Seven. And if you look up above it, there's another picture, Ricky, with a caribou, taller than he is. And there you are again, four years old. <laughs> you know, it's it wasn't a conscious decision for us to be here. Well, that's just like Dad was saying. It's not like today we decided which teachable moment we were going to no this was on. just this is just <laughs> yeah. all that life has ever been and it's what we know yeah. you know and it's picture ricky up there <laughs> there's a lot more pictures of ricky in here than me just whoa <laughs> whoa shots across the bow <laughs> you're pretty old though cameras uh, around if you notice <laughs> i don't carry a camera so you better go talk to the photographer on those oh okay and it wasn't me. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but no, it's just been, this has been our way of life, and I think that's the most important part about it. About it. 
you know yeah we learned it all from dad absolutely we did but there's been a lot of other people out here too that have influenced how we grew up as well yeah you know you got to remember we grew up out here with crew there was always crew here mm-hmm. um Good, bad, or indifferent. They learned how to swear in Cree before they knew <laughs> multiplication. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, there was, you know, we had the old native guides out here, which were the ones that would teach you were incredible teachers. Mm-hmm. Incredible. And the bush knowledge that I know personally myself that I gained from some of them old fellas was just, it's invaluable. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Dad was the founder of all of that, but... But those old guys had a hundred years of knowledge coming down to them too. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, it's it's been a very rich life and tradition. You know, we keep circling around to that one word, tradition, but that's basically how our life has revolved. Is and that's how we make a lot of our decisions. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is it taking us away from kind of what our uh, mission statement? Mm-hmm. would be would be you know uh, traditional outfitting mm-hmm. um, there is now you get to the point where in this day and age there is advantages to the not so traditional ways of doing some things <laughs> well it it is and you know with the pressure the hunting pressure in the area and and what we're doing out here sometimes it does pay off to you know, use your horses to trail you into that draw and then get dropped off with a backpack outfit set up to stay for a week in a place where you normally wouldn't stay that long because you can't hold your horses there. Mm-hmm. So you have someone take you up there and bring your horses back to base camp here and you don't even have to worry about them. Mm-hmm. You know, so there is, yes, we're holding on to our traditional roots, but you do have to adapt and move with the times and and grow in those in those certain aspects right you don't have to use your cowboy hat as a tripod anymore no i carry a tripod i mean it's not the best tripod but i know i'm slipping right yeah that's a slippery slope yeah the helinox chairs i mean hey those are comfy chairs those are spectacular chairs would the pioneer outfitters approve likely not but would they sit in them if you had them i'm thinking they probably would all day long yeah 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 Weighs less than their frame on their backpack. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so there is improvements. There absolutely, you can't, we can talk about technology being the downfall as much as we want, but it, it has made things. You snooze, you lose. Exactly. You do have I to agree. keep up with the times. And the I, demographic I of hunters is changing as well. I understand. And I am not, like I say, I'm not trying to be a dinosaur or stuck in the mud. I agree. I even own some um, modern modern technology um, hunting clothes mm-hmm. <laughs> of distinct pattern. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which, in my day, worn out blue jeans was the best we had. Fit, it blended, and a, and and a every, solid wool flannel. That's right. Every rock slide looked just like my blue jeans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then see now circling to the traditional part I think it's very important to have someone like dad who's here still holding on to to the tradition Mm -hmm. and keeping us in that pattern center of tradition that's that's what I was looking for yeah the center of the tradition yeah I think that's a huge part of it yeah you can branch out into the 
new ways as much as you want, but you still have to hold on to what what put you here and what still gotta started. climb the mountain. Yeah, you still gotta pull the trigger, mm-hmm. or you still gotta do do the deal. And yes, there's advantages to using new technology. Mm-hmm. It's huge, but there's still a core value, or a, there's still the real deal. Yeah, you still get the same cheap, same feeling walking up to whatever that trophy or that animal it is. Yeah. Whether you're wearing the best of the new technology or use the longest shooting gun or the shorter shooting gun or whatever it is, you walk up and pick up them horns or whatever it is. You're still dealing with that same value or that same emotion. heartfelt emotion. Yeah. And that's what I struggle with. The, the technology is and especially in the last however long the technology in hunting is exploding. No kidding, exponentially. Every year. But it doesn't... Free market. Yeah, it doesn't make... I want to say it doesn't make you a better hunter. It might make some things easier, but there's still hunting is still the same. Yeah. And so... The comfort level. Yeah. And a 40-inch ram is still a 40-inch ram. Yeah. Definitely is. I mean, I, I got to see a really nice one-horn ram. I kind of got a hard-on for... <laughs> One horn rams now. Yeah, there's a nice ram over there. Yeah. Nice one horn. Old ram. Old, old, old. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, for me, getting to come out here and, and you know, the flight in, and it's, you know, we're looking at uh, the Toshodi books going all the mm-hmm. way back because you guys have all the different photo albums and everything like that. You know, the most. The most popular picture we get is always the one of people flying in or flying out, and yeah. it's the aerial view of, you know, base camp or the horse range, and and uh, flying in, and you know, you came out of the gate and loaded up the gear, and we went to our bunkhouse and kind of started getting ready and gearing up to to trail out the next morning, and for me, and then all the way to. You know, when when Dallas is packing out his sheep, yeah. you know, in the moonlight, you know, moonlight on horseback and in the snow and, you know, the half-frozen rivers and the views and the glory of just scenery to me that is, I don't know how to describe it. Exactly. You, know, you can't put you, it into words. You can't. Somebody text messaged me and was like, you know, tell me about it can't and I let me see if I can find what I what my response was to them you gotta live it and that's the biggest thing you gotta live it you gotta live it you have to live it at least once in someone's life you know what I mean you need those moments that just sit you down and make you say oh well and, and whether it's coming out here for a moose hunt an elk hunt or a, or a sheep hunt or a goat hunt or any whatever hunt the experience you know and, and I mean the experience in the fact of you know whether it's it's a successful hunt and you kill something or there is nothing killed by the end of the hunt like the experience and the exposure to mountaintops as tall as the eye can see and 
you know, cliff drop-offs and faces and, you know, there's some rams over there and there's some elk over there and you can hear the wolves howling in the background and, you know, taking a jet boat up the river yesterday and when we left, there was not three inches of snow on the ground. <laughs> and when we came back, there's three inches of snow on the ground and the, the turquoise color of the water, you know, and, and there's so much to, I guess, saturate. I always found that awkward to try, or when I was, when a person was, uh, when you're booking a client or trying to um, tell them what it's like. Yeah, t tell them what it's like. Explain the experience. That's right. I'd say it's, it, it, I can't tell you. you. You call these people and ask them what their impressions were because you're not going to believe me, possibly. Mm -hmm. That's that's my main way. If someone's, you know, wanting to book book a hunt and asking me those questions, I say, I, I do the same thing. I say, okay, I can give you my pitch, and I can tell you as much as I can tell you, but it's going to sound ridiculous. Like a Walt Disney movie. Yeah, it's <laughs> going to sound like I'm embellishing and blowing smoke up your ass. Here's my reference list. Call these guys and after you get the same five types of results from calling those many make different your, people, make your decision. then call me back and I'll tell you mine and we'll see how close we are. Of course, we only put the good ones on that reference list. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I handpicked my reference list, but come on, let's not be silly. That's business 101, Ricky. Teachable moment. <laughs> Teachable moment number one for today. Right? Remember this the rest of your life. <laughs> Never forget. <laughs> but no, it's, I don't know. It's a pretty neat place to be able to show people. Yeah. And the, and the thing about it is, unless somebody comes and, and enjoys it with us, it's really of no value. It really isn't. It isn't nothing until you showed somebody. Mm -hmm. It's just here. Mm -hmm. The and experience. That's right. It's here. But unless you come here, or unless unless you can share it with someone, it the value. Um, I'm not saying it's worthless, but it's just it is. It's just here. It's still remarkable, but nobody knows it. Nobody knows it until you, you get to, to share it, it with or someone else. You have else. to be part of it. Yeah. To understand it. Well, you know, you bring up a really funny point too. For me back home, I, I like to take out first-time hunters and right. people that that don't necessarily get to have the experience where for me in California, I come from a lifetime and generations way back of hunters. Mm -hmm. And it was freely taught and given to me, you know. And, and what I do is I'll take new hunters out and the experience for me is when you get to witness someone take their first animal and they're they're fresh they're greener than green could be green yep. you know and yep. and it's where i relate is that i'm in that exact same boat where i mean i can kill as many animals as i want to kill and i'm 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 confident in my proficiency as a hunter yep. but getting to share the experience with someone who has no idea or clue pretty cool deal you know, and that's what makes it worth it. Right. And, and to hit on that, like you asked when we when we took Dallas's ram, you asked him his why. Mm -hmm. Right. One question: your why. Mm -hmm. Right there, what you just said. That's my why. That's why I do this. Yeah. 
because when you have, and I've shared this story with you before, but I had a client who his whole dream, his dream, childhood dream, was to kill a moose with his bow. He never had the money to do it. He would have never been able to do it. But the year before he ended up here hunting with me, his mother passed. She didn't have a lot of money, but she had some money put away. And she said, John, this money will be used for a moose hunt. You will not use it for anything else. This is what you are doing with it. Mm -hmm. And he showed up here and I took him on a moose hunt and he killed that bull moose on the second day of the hunt. Huh. And he, you know, there comes a point in time where you can look at a guy and, okay, he needs to go down there and have a moment by himself. Mm-hmm. And he did, and I went back and got the horses, and I came back, and I got down there with him. And just the, the feeling and the emotion that's attached to that right there. I mean, I sat down with him, and we both had a moment right there. But that's, that's the why. Yeah. To be able to mm-hmm. give that to someone, it's, there ain't a better feeling in the world. But it's, and it's a shame that a person has to put a monetary value on that. Mm-hmm. It is. That's the part that I, through the years, have struggled with at times, mm-hmm. saying, no, I'm sorry, you don't have enough money to come do this. Yeah. Yeah. When, yeah, that guy needed it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe more than somebody else that did. That's what I'm saying. I completely agree with that. Uh, that it shouldn't have to be a monetary measured well, deal. You know, and something that I learned, you know, is like everything here has to come in on a flight. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. From the candles to the food to the people to the gas, you know, and, and I couldn't even imagine what cost is to fly a 55-gallon drum of gasoline out here could be. It's, by know, the time it gets here, we figured it out, it's about $18 a liter. Liters, gallons. For America, gal- Canadian. Four liters to a gallon. Yeah, no, I know. Just, I'm busting balls. But, you know what I mean? So, and, and not only that, there's a generator that's running 24-7, you know? And there's, there's so much, like... Candles are the most expensive light source, you know, it's like because how much does it cost to fly some candles and mind you They're coming in on a whole order, but When you're this far out everything. Yeah, it's not like you're going to a pump and filling up and you know You're at camp. There's so much more structured into everything, you know, so at you know, there has to be a We it has to have a monitor. Well, there has to be an ROI, but a reasonable ROI, you know, And, and I think for a lot of people, and this is something that I've learned a lot over the last few years, um, really getting to know a lot more guides and a lot more outfits and stuff like that. You know, it's just like, you know, the horses. You know, we had to pack two two pack saddles of uh, of uh, or two saddle panniers of um, feed and cube. Yeah. Right, and that feed and cube had to be flown out here because mm-hmm. y'all didn't harvest it and make it out here. Yeah. You know, and that helps the horses, you know, keeps our horses going. feel a little bit more comfortable while they're, yep. you know, way out there eating twigs and branches. Yep. 
especially this time of year when the grass doesn't have the nutrients in it like it did in August. Yeah. And we don't need to supplement in August and into September. Yeah. But once the grass dies and isn't as good, now you got to start supplementing. Or buried under eight inches of snow. And, Correct. You yeah. know. You know. So there's there's just. I think that people forget. You know, when they look at a price tag of. Mm -hmm. You know, because I look at elk hunts stateside that are $12,500, and you're driving into someone's ranch. Yeah. And you're staying at their ranch, at their ranch house, you know, and there's an electric bill and, you know, the whole deal. And, and there's no struggle for supplies flying in or flying out or, you know, people flying in and flying out. And there's no turnover like that or what the flight costs, you know, let alone the gear and accessories. and all that extra stuff and or livestock and, and everything like that so it's there's a lot more factored in to a cost of a hunt when mm -hmm. you're you Absolutely. know looking at that stuff out here i guess is what i'm getting at. yeah you know but yeah it's a remarkable place remarkable place there's like every Every time that you come out of the trees, when, like when we were coming back three nights ago or four nights ago, whatever it was, every time you know we're coming down the ridge over there and you come out of the out of the trees, and the entire valley is just lit up sunset, and it's like, where am I right now? <laughs> yeah, is this real? Holy smokes! Yeah. What is happening? You know, and and, it, and it's uh, you know we. It's not exclusive. Like um, there are many operations like ours mm -hmm. too through throughout this industry. corridor yeah. and the, up here in the northern Rockies. Mm -hmm. um, we are very fortunate to be a very have an area that is traditionally known or traditional has been a very beautiful area as far as just the the grass or the area itself is it Tishodi actually means green water or blue water I'm sorry yeah. and it's an old native Cree word and so that goes back hundred years and there are this area the Tishodi Valley was actually a wintering grounds and a, for the natives prior to the settlement of all the north. Uh, we can find there is actually old Indian camps here. Really? Yeah. There's been arrowheads. We found arrowheads. We yeah. found, you know, there's sign here from way back. So there must have been something about this country then that caused those people to live here. Mm-hmm. And we're still enjoying that today. Mm -hmm. So we are very fortunate. This has has a long history of being a very, um, you know, uh, user friendly area. I guess is what I say. Yeah. A winter ground, and that shows in the game, shows in the, um, our ability to winter horses here year round. Um, without supplement feeding of any sort, um, and raise colts, you know, um, raise our horses right here. How many horses do you guys have? 
Got about a hundred on the land right now. Hundred. That's our grazing lease is for a hundred. So yeah, right around a hundred. We'll say a hundred. I think there's ninety-nine. Pretty sure there was ninety-nine last time we counted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We. Yeah. We'll run our operation now. I think we shot about fifty head of gildans this year. Yeah, I put shoes on forty-eight this year. Forty-eight head. Yeah. There you go. We've had up like in the past we've. You know, we've run more hunters and more clients and been busier than we are now. We've cut back some and we've used up to 70 head of our own head, our own horses. And why the cutback? Um, the biggest influence there is the lack or the inability to find qualified crew. Mm -hmm is the number one reason that we started to cut back. Um, at one point, we'd r I used to run nine guides plus myself, and um, we'd run, you know, up to 60 to 70 hunters a year. Um, but to maintain the quality that we established, find nine top hands anymore they're just not out there anymore don't exist they do exist but they're everybody needs they're spread them. out across northern BC in the territories mm -hmm. that's what I'm saying mm -hmm. it's we cut it back to where we run four guides four top hands and by golly we know what's going to be done how it's going to be done mm -hmm. and that's that's the, that's the bottom line the game is still here. The country is still here. All the everything is here. The clients are out there. They want to come hunt, but we're not going to sacrifice their experience to run shitty guides. To to just run the numbers. Yeah, yeah. That's the number one reason. Yeah. And for you guys, what do you what do you feel the future is for out here? I feel the future's pretty good out here. Yeah. I mean, you're staying. I'm you're, staying. Yeah. You're in it. I'm going to make it work as long as I can make it work. Yeah. It'll go, it'll go nowhere but us. It'll, we're, not, we're not backing up any bit. No. Nope. Yeah. No, nope, we're still going, and yeah, we've cut our numbers back, but that just makes it easier to run. Mm hmm Can run it more efficiently, more streamlined. Definitely know the product that we're putting out is going to be what we want. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than spreading yourself too thin and maybe not putting out the product you want. This yeah. is, it gives us more control on how we do things by keeping it small. And, and you're, I mean, when you're running that many hunters and guides and everything, your overhead is so much higher. Absolutely. Um, you kind of trim the fat, make the company a little more like you said, streamline, and mm -hmm. you probably got a similar bottom line, and, and the a numbers that you got more control over. The numbers at the end aren't as big, but the margins are a whole lot better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And our game population is stable. Um, uh, there well, are I mean, some fluctuations. I'm not saying there isn't uh, in 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 you know certain species, but if you look at the big picture, we're still. In good shape. Cruising right along. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. So now for us on our hunt, mm -hmm. 
we ended up eating some peak refuel meals. Absolutely. What did you think of peak refuel? I loved those. You like them? I did. Yeah, yeah. they're game changer. Yeah. yeah. High in protein, good meals. I don't care what they were high in. They were good. <laughs> high in good flavor. High in good flavor. Yeah, no, I, I, I really like enjoyed them. I, I think I did the chicken Alfredo the one night, and that was... Man, I haven't had a chicken Alfredo in a long time, so it might not have been very good, but I sure liked it. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. And then I think you had beef marinara the next. I, I think so, yeah. 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 What'd um, you think of that? That's my favorite one. I like the Alfredo better. Really? Yep. Yeah. That one was, it was dang good, but yeah. the, the Alfredo was the one that... That was your winner. They, oh, boy, yep. Yeah. Those guys down there got something figured out. They Whatever they're doing, they're, they're doing it. Yeah, I was really surprised with... Uh, when they came out with their product and yeah. I you know when I first saw it I was like great another mountain house yeah. you know whatever whoever whatever company and then I tried it and I was like oh wow yeah it's actually enjoyable food mm-hmm. you know and I, I like their food a lot yeah no there might be a change of coming in our dehydrated food program around here yeah yeah they're good you know and and Barton I want to say Seth, and don't murder me if I'm wrong, um, but they're they're just hands down great guys. Before the day before I flew up here, I went and actually got to tour their entire freeze dried food facility okay. and how they run everything, their day to day, and they have a state of the art warehouse that's from from the trees back there to the trees right here. Wow, huge operation it's insane but you know they're great great fellas what was uh what was your highlight from the last 10 days killing the sheep yeah (laughs) (laughs) no it was you know honestly what i would say aside from every time you turned around having a camera oh i love that too yeah i love cameras (laughs) Um, i would say honestly Shooting the sheep, that was, I mean, obviously it is the highlight of, or the reason. That's the, why yeah. we're doing it. But, yeah. you know, when you guys, <laughs> when you guys were seeing stuff for the first time, that's, like, I, yeah. I, I, I circle back to that quite a bit. Yeah. Showing people stuff for the first time, and that's what it, that's what does it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love hunting, but I love showing people and experiencing things with people yeah new experiences for people i i really that's what does it for me that's the true guide or that's the real guiding element of this business yeah the killing is is secondary yeah guiding is 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 not just killing yeah like one of my favorite clients are kids i've guided some kids in the past my favorite clients are kids because mm-hmm. they are just a sponge out here. <laughs> they are. They yeah. soak up everything. You know, there's a lot of guys that show up and, and you know, I don't want to say are the macho type, but there's, you know, there's a lot of guys that don't want to take the time to experience. Yeah. That's what, we're on a two-week experience here. Soak it up, bud. You know, drink in every, everything you see. Mm-hmm. And... Taking a kid out is really fulfilling because you watch them just bloom. <laughs> They're just as excited to pick berries as they are to look at a big sheep. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, and yeah. so for me, for example, from this trip on 
day one and we're heading out and it's when you're on the maybe north side or the right side of the river over yeah. here and you're going through the poplar trees and everything's neon green underneath them and i mean this time of year there's no leaves on the trees but yeah. for me and I, i've never been through poplar trees like that in my life and i'm just mind blown at watching this and then you come out of the clearing and you've got all the you know you've got the timbered covered mountains going further going further to the mountains keep going and the timber line stops and then you're surrounded by the peaks of the mountains at 360 and you're looking at everything and then you know you're crossing rivers up to your stirrups on your horse and you're like well all right can, can, you must have been on a tall horse this is <laughs> yeah you know and, and you're like I'm going along and I'm like, can there be more to this? Can there be, you know, and then we're hiking up, you know, wet trail and coming over the top of that into this next valley. And it's like to a whole new (laughs) plethora of views. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, or, or stopping the horses at, at the timber line and continuing to hike further up the mountain and getting within 50 yards of five rams. And, you know, sure. I mean, none of them were, were legal rams, but like, when in my life on a on a and this, this would be considered a public land hunt for Absolutely. a bc resident yep. you know when in my life will i ever get on a on a public land area and be able to have snuck within 50 yards of five rams and i sat at their side for an hour until i you know i flagged you guys down and you guys came over there mm-hmm. and peaked over and you guys like oh there they are right yeah, there okay look. Yeah, okay look you know and it's for me every day was something new yep that every day was a new experience and it was insane well adding to that we've actually got part of our area that we've never seen mm-hmm. that is in the works of being discovered explored. yeah um we didn't get into it this year, but we are working towards that. Um, it'll be just like what you did. Yeah. We're going to go in. For you guys. Yeah. I want to be there. Like I said. When that happens, I want to be there. There's not. To experience you guys experiencing. Well, that's exactly where, where we're headed. Yeah. Um, there's not going to be a trail cut. Yeah, no trails, mosquitoes, grizzly bears. <laughs> yeah. it's, it, and like I say, you've got to ride down a, a pack trail and yeah. experience all this. It ain't going to be that way when we head over the top. Yeah. Finding river crossings and bog holes and find out we're in the wrong valley or on the wrong side of the mountain or right. whatever it is. So this but sounds like a lot of fun. You guys are gonna go do this, right? Run <laughs> around this place? Yeah. I'll keep I'll keep base camp tied down. I'll here. keep the fire going. I'll see yeah. when you come back. Well, it's been a long time since I seen new country. So anyway, that's And how has that been for you guys learning and understanding the way of the land and the way of the wildlife out here? Um, you learn what to do and what not to do. Real quick, I bet. Don't take your environment call out. <laughs> <laughs> Might call in the grizz. Yeah, don't be overusing your environment call here lately. Yeah. <laughs> that might get you a little bit of unexpected action. I think it's, it's definitely, it's a neat thing to be able to learn or to grow up learning to live with nature out here. And mm-hmm keeping things in balance or it's, it's, as best we can it's recognizing 
when that bull elk stands up and turns his head a certain way that you're 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 done. He's going. Yeah. Or watching a band of rams or a goats or whatever it is up on a ridge start moving or traveling or acting in a certain body style or language or movement or whatever, being able to read that knowing. And understanding what direction they're going to be going or to. Or why they're doing that, whether it's uh, because of a predator scenario, which you are the predator, mm -hmm. and they're fixing to save their own hide. <laughs> it may look like they're just feeding over there for the fun of it. Yeah. But when they're, uh, you, that's what learning to read nature is all about. Yeah. Um, or just how game winners, you know, how that, or like right now we're seeing a real strong drift of the bull elk showing up going east. Mm -hmm. There's seemingly, well, come back here in about two months or so. Go east to here. Find the elk. You'll find herds of bulls over there. Yeah. Well, we're starting to see that right now. They're starting to ease on over to the winter rounds. Mm -hmm. And like on this hunt, there was rams with every band of ewes we saw. That's gearing August, up for the rest. September, you're not going to see that. Mm -hmm. So that's reading nature mm -hmm. or understanding nature. Yeah. Because it's, it's their world, and it's being able to interpret their world for us to understand. Mm -hmm. So I always do, there's a part, it's the dead-eye minute. I always ask a question, and, and I'm going to ask you, Larry, let the kids sit on the sides for this one. If there is anything that you could go back in your 40 years of, 40, of guiding? Years, 40 plus years of, yeah. of guiding. Is there anything about any of it that you would change? And this is this is the dead eye minute. It's yeah. dead eye apparel. They yeah. sponsor oh, the boy. podcast. That, that's a biggie. Um, you know, I don't know if there is. If, uh, all I can say is my there was a way I could uh, preserve my knees. Mm -hmm. That's what my issue right now is my knees are blowing out on me. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it's, it's probably preserve your physical body and do what it takes. I'm not saying I abused it or anything. Yeah. It's just that that's my biggest hindrance right now is my physical capabilities. If there was anything that I would change or done different that could have um, extended or uh, benefited, that might be what it is. Um, but as far as where I've hunted, what I've hunted, how I've hunted, um, you know, as far as the hunting world goes, I don't think there's a big change. I've over 40 years of this guiding, and I've never, never killed a sheep. Yeah, um, and that was I wanted to segue into that. So that's well, like I say, I, I wouldn't say I, I would rather have gone back and shot every big sheep I've seen. How many rams? 
do you, do you know how many Rams you have under your belt in 40 plus years? I don't. I haven't counted. It's a not lot. something that was yeah. an issue, obviously. I mean, just went out and did it. It's what I do. I guide. Mm -hmm. But um, so as far as like I say, regretting not ever shooting a sheep. No. You shot plenty. Yeah, I've, I've hunted plenty. Mm -hmm. It's a, it, for me, it's a hunt. Because for you, it's an over-the-counter tag here, so you can oh, tentatively just go out and grab a tag. And he's got a tag in his pocket right now. Yeah. I, I do. I, I carry a tag to support the wildlife habitat fund. Mm -hmm. They get a percentage of every tag that's just sold. I got every tag they can buy in my pocket. When was the last time you notched your own tag for any animal? <laughs> You're really pushing me now. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's why I say I. I think you shot that mule deer about seven years ago now. Is it? It's, it's been a ways back. Yeah. Well, there was one it was a pretty nice buck on the driveway when I was taking Ricky to school. <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't kill him, the damn neighbor was. <laughs> Not that I didn't want the neighbor to kill him, but I don't know. I just decided. It was a weak moment, eh? <laughs> it was a weak moment, I guess. The killer came out. <laughs> but anyway, that's, yeah, I killed a mule deer and a whitetail about 20 years before that, if I can think of. But, uh, And no. you've been guiding for 45, 43. 1975 was my first guide license. 44. There you go. Right? Do, do the math. Yeah, 44. So, um. I'd have to public take my school. socks off to start figuring that out. So. Yeah, counting toes and fingers. Yeah. Watch like out, I say, world. I I don't know. I don't have a, a oh my a regret or a, oh gee I wish I did this. I wish I would have that. Mm -hmm. um, my biggest regret now is my is my you know uh, ability to travel. Mm -hmm. I'm still traveling. Mm -hmm. and I'm still getting there, but I'm hoping that you're going to be traveling to Reno this year. I'm on. I'm I'm planning. Yep. So I'll see you down at right Cheap Show. Oh for sure. You're doing right. I'm. I got a lot of boys I need to go talk to. Yeah. We've been kicking rocks down the mountains for a long time. And uh, I don't have to go and sit in the booth anymore. That's what you got him for. That's the name. <laughs> yeah. I can finally go around and... Talk to people. Yeah, go fit. Enjoy seeing your friends. Well, that's it. In the past, you go, you sneak off for a little bit and go go see Stan or go see Daryl or whatever. And, oh, better get back over there. Someone might probably looking for... Trying to book a hunt. Yeah, I want, I want to spend some money. Yeah. But now it's, hmm, maybe I will go sit somewhere. Does it get fairly competitive from outfitter to outfitter up here, or is it a relatively? No. no. We're all in the same game. Shoot, our hunter is, is our neighbor's hunter next year, and our, yeah, no, no, we're, if we got an opening, he, and he's got too many guys, we can fit it, or if he can fit one of our guys, or yeah. whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I was looking. Tag leasing, and. We, we don't do much of that, but like I was looking okay. for crew here this fall. I was in a bit of a bind for a guy, and I contacted all the outfitters around me asking if anybody had an extra guy. Nobody, yeah. Of course, nobody did. Everybody else was also looking for that same guy, so. <laughs> right. But that's that's the kind of relationship and all I was of us busy, have up here. So I just couldn't go. Yeah. <laughs> no, you were already on the payroll. <laughs> that's what, oh, I that, wasn't an extra like you. No, you were not. That too. <laughs> That's cool. And then you guys run, or you had the meeting up here this year for the BC Guide and Outfitters. Yeah, the Northern the Northern BC Outfitters Association. And what's that? 
Uh, it's just the it's the association of all us outfitters up here in the northeast slope. And you guys all get together every yeah. year and kind of do like a powwow and a kind of yeah yeah yeah. I mean I'm I don't it, know it's so like I'm it's asking. an actual association yeah. that we have and we have our annual meeting here in November. Um, the winter meeting will be in Reno at the sheep show. Yeah, because SCI and sheep show are the same week this year. Yeah, yeah that's go handy. figure. Anyway, well, everybody's there. It's, Might as well. And that's how it works, you know. Uh, in this business, we're all, you know, If I could sit scattered. in on that, that would be cool. Yeah. Just it's, to watch. Yeah, it's, it's, it has its colorful moments. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> A bunch of guys like this. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting around a table. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's why we have it at Reno at the Sheep Show, because all the outfitters are there. Mm -hmm. And so we can all have them. Constructive and, meeting. Yeah. And then, then they have we have a summer meeting at one of the outfitters' places, mm -hmm. outfits, you know, base yeah. camps, before everybody disperses into yeah, the season. Is gone for the season, and and like I say, now in November, we'll have a outfitter due in Fort Saint John, where we have a, a, a trophy competition and whatnot, and it'll be our fall meeting. Mm -hmm. Fall meeting and then banquet and, and banquet and whatnot. Every outfitter association does it. Yeah, virtually, you know, and because there's, there's right time now, to get together at the end of the season and decompress. Well, yeah. it is, but yeah. there's so much politically that you have to keep track of going on, yeah. going on that that you gotta stay connected in order to be in the right place at the right time. At this point, in the world, the way the political situation is right now, we have to be a complete united front. Mm -hmm. There's no room for fighting amongst yourselves when the... the even, even so far as to the outfitters and residents, mm -hmm. you know, for years there's been, call it a war for a better, lack of better term, yeah. friction. There's been friction, yes, between the outfitters and the residents. It's we're at the, at the time and place where that's got to go away. Yeah, we all have to be a united front in this. In, in this order fight, to save your industry, or we're going to lose it for everybody. And for not everybody. It's not, it's not just the industry; it's wildlife. Yeah, yeah. that's the bottom line. Yeah, the wildlife Absolutely. doesn't have a chance if we don't all come together. Pitch yeah. in, and we. It's time to stop worrying about who's going to kill the last one. Mm -hmm. We need to save the last one. Yeah. Yeah. We have a similar, it's, it's so funny after spending 10 days with you in the bush and then also spending some time around here and hearing a lot of the issues that you guys have up here, which are almost identical issues to everything that we've had going on in California for the last 30 years, you know, and it's, it's the same game. It's just it's, in a different box. Yeah. Yeah, man. And it's, and it all boils down to political stuff you know and and like our our grizzly bears went away on political feelings yeah emotion Not zero science yeah it was a wildlife based or a wildlife management decision based on emotion yeah not that's fact. completely ludicrous yeah to manage wildlife off emotion yeah yeah that would be like shutting down world trade on emotion rather than fact Absolutely. Yeah. Which may have been done in the past, but it still doesn't work very good. Yeah. No, it's something has to happen. Mm -hmm. Big time. 
Right on. Well, do you guys have any concluding thoughts before we, you know, end this little spiel? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. Give us some wisdom, Father. <laughs> Teachable it's a moment life, for the day. Don't weaken. Well, it is a fine day, and uh, we're kind of closing her off for another season. Well, a damn good one. It's the last day. It this is. is it. It's the flyout start today, and yep. trail out starts tomorrow or the next yep. day, and yep. the boys will trail the horses. Boards go on the windows, and. That's right. She's Can't mm -hmm. shut down. We'll give her back to the Grizzlies. How can people <laughs> look you guys up? Uh, ToshotaRiverOutfitters.com. Mm -hmm. uh, send me an email, Monty at ToshotaRiverOutfitters. Okay. Do you have an Instagram page? Not really. No? Okay. And it, I'm not, I'm really, I'm not very big on social media. Yeah, I get it. I'm not a huge fan of it. and I totally get it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm... I might have took after the dinosaur a little bit on that, but he's about to do an Instagram page. Yeah, he's got his own deal going on. <laughs> he's on the line, but that's his. He's thing. on the line. You <laughs> snooze, you lose, man. That's he's his. on the line, <laughs> out there, yeah. on the line. Yeah. You be part of this or not? He's gonna post a picture <laughs> on the line. You can put it on the line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm right there with you. That's my favorite right there. Yeah. Actually, the Instagram machine grew up when he's when they're all at the above the Golden Gate Bridge. That's mm -hmm. spent a lot of hours on that point in my <laughs> life. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's one of my. I got a lot of cool night photos. I'll show you of the of the bridge. But right on. Well, I appreciate wholeheartedly the experience that I've had out here and getting to know you guys and having such a better understanding and deeper appreciation for BC guiding, you know, and, and bush life as well as um, really getting to see some of the internal emotional points for stone sheep hunting mm -hmm. um, and my own experience and what comes out of it more than just inches and and a price tag on a on a hunt mm -hmm. you know and and getting a much deeper appreciation and understanding of what i'm coming out of you know when i fly out of here what i'm coming out of here with and and as far as experience and understanding of mm -hmm. of all those things because it's you just prior to this year you just for me i just don't didn't understand i wanted to understand i thought i understood you know what i mean but i had no clue you know and and everybody can talk about it and tell you stories about it but until you live it and you're in it you have no i i had no idea um you know i mean there's so many times that i was this close to crying oh yeah and not for anything other than just mind-blowing, you know, the core of my soul and the depth of me as a person being understood and, and read better. And, you know, it's... Uh, Monty's really good at hiding his crying. Yeah. yeah. You've probably I, never even seen him cry. I right? did, I did. Well, oh, he did? was sleeping. 
He whinnied like a horse. Oh, good lord. He whinnied like a horse and a tear fell out of the corner of his eye. (laughs) That's weird. (laughs) He's like, no, stop. stop. Oh, this just took a spin. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll end it there. Oh, good. (laughs) I look forward to reconnecting with you guys at Sheep Show. Absolutely. You know, and and, uh, everything else that's to come. You guys are amazing, and and thank you for being such great hosts. Oh, you're more than welcome. You know, and and like I was telling you yesterday, you know, it's so great to go from one cabin to the next, and it's not all one lodge and one house. It's, you know, it's a nice little setup. I I love it out here. But right on. Thanks, guys. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.